Hi, Greg Perry, the Historic Preservationist. Welcome to episode 441. Um, we're going to uh, continue um, with the, um, the theme here in this episode of, of English furniture. And in English furniture was the development of these style of objects, these pieces um, in question, these decorative arts, these uh, in, interior architecture that we... Um, the, the wealthy and the well-to-do could uh, flout their, their culture with. So um, today's episode, we're going to talk about the sideboard. Sideboards really didn't exist in the Chippendale era. Um, they grew out of the uh, they grew out of the Adam style, you know, with the Adam brothers in particular. And, and continued on with uh, you know, George Heppelwhite and his design books. <clears throat> so the, you know, the sideboard is is really an elongated type piece of furniture, um, with anywhere from four to six to eight legs, and the legs can be tapered with clubs at the bottom as they terminate into the uh, into the ground. Um, they can be veneered. They can be in the solid, and you know. Let's talk about what was the function of the sideboard. Um, the sideboard could have been a uh, kind of a serving a venue, uh, you know, just a transfer point from coming in from, you know, the the servants bringing bringing in uh, various plates from from the kitchen and various dishes in a transitional period to go onto the table, waiting for the next course or the next venue onto the dining table when that's occurring. Um, it would have been a place where you would have kept your your best cutlery. And traditionally, you would have had boxes, separate boxes for knives. And generally, they would have been two um, sitting on either side. These would be freestanding boxes, very beautiful, shapely, some OG'd fronts and and tilting, tilting, um, tilting lids, all veneered and sometimes with a little bit of marquetry on them. So these were brash showpieces going back past the Chippendale era again into the Adam-esque era which would have been the era of uh, you know so we're not carving fans anymore we're making fans out of uh, veneer and marquetry um, circles inlaid with fine veneers crotches and 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 the hardware changed no more Chippendale back a lot of the poles were oval and round with a drop bale um, but the the purpose was again as a as a to put your knife boxes on and a, kind of a transfer point for dinners, included in some of the bigger sideboards. Um, I have a sideboard that uh, on one side, you know, the the series of doors and drawers on one side is a cellaret, and it's 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 a beautifully dovetailed. 18 inch deep, 18 inch high, 18 inch deep square. You would open the door and there was a drawer behind it and it was lead lined and it was a doubly lined that you could put small pieces of ice all the way around to keep your beverages cold and keep the drawer closed. No one could see it. When it was time, the servant would come out, open the door, pull the drawer out and pour you a drink and everything remained cold during the dinner. Very important, very important. Um, Flanking that on the other side would have been uh, a similar door 
um, with provisions to put bottles, you know, the favorite beverages, the favorite wines and cognacs of the time. And they would have been stored like a, like a little wine cellar in there. So, uh, and then the center drawers were used for your cutlery and your napkins. So these are the basic functionalities of these pieces. And, uh, you know, they, they varied from, you know, very thin, very small, up until grandiose, up to six, six and a half, some eight feet wide. So uh, a lot of variation. And unfortunately today, uh, you know, seeing valuation prices at auction, what's happening with these pieces, the, uh, the bigger ones, and, and I, I think it's been a, ten, a trend now for, I don't know, 15, 10, 15 years that the, uh, the larger pieces, anything, I, I mean, I'm watching break fronts not go for a lot of money and big sideboards. And, and it gives the, this is a great time for collections building and phenomenal. You can get high style Chippendale, Sheraton, Heppelwhite, whatever suits your fancy, but it's a great time for collections building. Number one, we have uh, a buying public out there that's um, basically uninformed because they don't want to be informed, um, you know, verging on stupid, um, that they have this wonderful art form and it's it's going to rot. It's Nobody's picking up on it and it gets bought, bought by people essentially at auction that don't care about it and they don't, they abuse it because they don't understand what it was. They don't care to understand what it was. It's, it's like the old adage, I mean, some really dumb people, you know, we have a lot of dumb people in the world and and, and the, the dumb person is not the person, the dumb person is the person that is not educated but doesn't want to be educated in certain realms. They don't care about being educated. That's the idiot to me. And, and I don't want to be so brash, but that's that's the God's truth. And that's what's happened to the decorative arts. People don't give a damn about them. So these kind of large pieces like the sideboard, the break fronts and things like that are going for nothing, comparatively speaking. You find a tremendous amount of uh, competition out there for knife boxes and smalls and things like that. But people aren't thinking grandiose and people are more concerned with their ridiculous um, factory-made BMW that they, they think they, they have a, some kind of a special panache and, and, and elan when they're driving down the road. with. They must belong to some kind of crazy club. And But that's the way it is today, you know. And to to to, uh, to have things like that on the road that are made out of plastic and metal that don't last and are designed to fail in a few years so they can suck you in commercially and drain your pockets for the next um, few little design changes they put on and you, you just have to stay in vogue. So um, to me, my money would always be in, in decorative arts that, you know, that these, these things have stood the test of time over hundreds of years now. Um, whether it's uh, fine arts or decorative arts, but classic traditional stuff from 17th, 18th century. And it's always going to be in vogue to the entertained and the, the broad, expansive, and ever-expanding minds. But these things we talked about, like automobiles, are for the closed minds, the short minds, the, the, the little-minded individuals today. So, um, And frankly, most of the people I deal with, um, they're probably driving 20-, 30-year-old Mercedes-Benz or or clunkers, just clunkers with a, with a, uh, I mean, one guy, one guy, he's, he, he's, has a fabulous musical instrument collection. He owns 20 18th century pianos and he drives around in a, in a Datsun from the seventies. He's put four engines in it. He doesn't give a damn about what he looks like when he drives. 
he's after the object of the great masterpiece. So that's uh, a little bit far for me, but I, I want some reliability. But let's get on with sideboards. And, and just so we talked about the values are down. Great time for collection building. Um, a lot of the base veneers were used were mahogany, satin, wood inlays. Not a lot of brass used here. In France, there would have been a tremendous amount of brass, bronze mounts. And at the end of this very short episode, I will... Um, Talk about value points. When I talk about value points, um, a piece of furniture, um, a decorative art object. So from zero to five, um, whenever I do talk about that, um, just say you know five points is is a ten is is as good as it gets, and you know what adds to that object is a value point of two. Uh, patina, coloration, width, size, height, things like that. So we'll we'll just finish up. So this will be a sh relatively short. But so anyway, the the sideboard as as distinct from the side table or or sideboard table is generally attributed to Robert Adam, who was the designer, and he showed the first designs sometime after 1760. And uh, I just want to reiterate. Um, Chippendale, with all his greatness and his, his foresight of seeing designs, I mean, we, we tend to think of Chippendale as this uh, this great cabinet maker, and and uh, I, I'm not sure. I mean, all that we don't know a lot about Chippendale, but seemingly what we know, he was a he was a tradesman, but he was a tradesman entrepreneur that uh, was going to get out there and and make a name for himself, and coming from a Buria. Utley, a very bucolic background, and he goes to London, and by making these design books, um, creating these design books, were not his designs also, so he was a plagiarist, a huge, huge plagiarist from the French, and most of these designs were based on the French, but what he was, he was an entrepreneur, he was a great delegator, so, I mean, uh, you know, and, and, and as life goes, we don't need a, we don't need a, we don't need a president with multiple degrees. We need a an informed person for as president of a company or as a country. But we need a president who understands the issues and is a great delegator. He can put the best people around him to get the job done. Not some clown who puts idiots around him that are buddies for payoffs. So, and it was the same thing of Chippendale. Chippendale created, as we know, one of the first shops wood shops, furniture making shops, that was everything under one roof. It was all from design conception to wood storage to um, jointing. Um, everything occurred and it was segmented by different rooms, terminating in a upholsters room. He built coffins, he did hardware, he did everything. He could design a wedding for your daughter. So Chippendale um, was playing entrepreneur at the time. And um, he had uh, he had a lavish um, he had a lavish taste for for good things even things that he didn't he didn't produce in a shop so he lived high um, but he also uh, um, and being an artist and a, and a crafts and tradesman I recognize this um, sometimes you'll put yourself out there and say oh I can make that or I can work with that person. And, and sometimes we've sold our souls, I hate to admit it, 
to to work for somebody maybe for notoriety and in thinking or hoping that they had connections with other people and dinner parties and or, or in their case at the court and and Chippendale did this a multitude of times and he put his little company out there too many times and he wasn't getting paid somebody used him to say oh I used Thomas Chippendale for all my furniture here at the party last Friday night and uh, he rushes to get it you know he has several months to get it for a gathering and then and then the guy doesn't pay him and then he says well I believe the next the next uh, uh, you know the next uh, gentleman down the road with the manor house he'll do He'll, he'll, he'll treat me well. So Chippendale did this so four or five times. Chippendale so strung out with his suppliers that he's nearly out of business. And, you know, what he made was he made a huge name for himself, but always on the verge, always on the, the tightrope, the, uh, the edge of bankruptcy. And uh, so luckily for Chippendale, the new design was just coming in with Robert Adam. The next Chippendale was coming down the road. And uh, Robert Adam created a design book, and he chose Chippendale as his man because Chippendale had the shop. So Robert Adam produced, and Chippendale swallowed it. He says, you know what? It's sink or swim. I'm going to produce the Adam-esque designs. And he did, and he did it well. He did it uh, like no one else could have done it in the time period. He was set up for that. So Chippendale, again, the entrepreneur, acted quickly, and he knew what to do. And, and it saved his soul. It really did. And, and, and thank God, because it created so many masterpieces. So, um, But anyway, with the sideboard, the, the original design contains within it when you know the side pedestals are removed, or the legs, the nucleus of the 18th century sideboard and its later developments are all encompassed in its storage space, its drawers and its doors. The Adam brothers were dedicated to Roman and Greek classical forms. The pedestals at each side of the piece had vase-shaped urns, which were for iced water or um, you know, keeping your wine or for drinking, and hot water even for, uh, for washing silver, you know, for turning around uh, objects of silver. They could open a door pull a slide out and the servants were pouring in hot water and another servant was removing that uh, that uh, bowl and uh, the, the water had chilled and and so they could you know turn around certain implements for eating and, and at times the pedestals were used as a plate warmer and, and cellaret as we said or which we said is a wine storage place respectively the central section uh, without the pedestals is the form we generally associate with later Georgian sideboards, with or without the brass gallery. So at times, many of these had a, a rack on the back of, uh, of the sideboards just as a decorative feature. Um, sometimes this rack would go up 14, 15 inches and go across you know, five, six feet. It was used actually to put napkins on and other implements of cloth during the, the eating process. And uh, <laughs> sometimes they, I, uh, uh, do the association if, if you've ever seen a hearse, even early hearses or carriages, they have this this implement, this ornament on the side. It's called a tonneau bar or something like that. It's pretty tacky stuff, but uh, it's kind of like I would call it an implement of death, you know. So, um, so Sheraton and, and Heppelwhite illustrated pedestal types in all of their drawing books. In the later designs, like Gillow's. The sideboard cupboards of the central section became drawers, and still later, 
in the Regency period, the side sections were extended downwards to form cupboards. So in the beginning, the sideboard kind of evolved from a, a table, you know, with, with narrow, not so deep drawers, five, six inches. And it just kept growing to the floor and then and the legs shrunk. It always remained about the same height, but the legs shrunk and the cabinet uh, storage space became greater. So it's just a great visual mental picture of the evolution of how furniture adapted and, and how living adapted. So the proportions of these later sideboards became heavier as a result. Um, some only have 14-inch legs at the bottom. They're absolute monsters. I own a monster, but I own a monster with absolutely drop-dead gorgeous um, veneer inlays of circles and figure eights and uh, mahogany and satin wood. So it's uh, absolutely gorgeous. So from the mid-8th or 19th century and onwards, the sideboard became either a solid doored cabinet or long proportions and with or without carved decoration or in the uh, evolution of the famous Chevy Chase exhibition piece of 1857, <coughs> excuse me, through 1863, they became highly, right at the end, they became highly carved in oak and mahogany with fruit, deer, rabbits, birds, and other game, almost reminiscent of what was coming out of the Black Forest and cuckoo clocks at the time. So how interesting is that? So at the end of the 19th century, the return to 18th century designs produced some rather good quality reproductions. So again, I think I mentioned this many times, and I'll keep repeating this, reproductions in mahogany, satin wood, and satin maple, sycamore. It's not bad getting a very high quality reproduction made in, in those countries at the time. Um, you're going to find a much higher level of craftsmanship of jointry pristine carving and, and inlay. Um, but that's how you can really decipher it and authenticate, say, an original sideboard from one that was produced 100 years later, almost a copy, is because it's made so much better. So, um, and, and I hate not being disparaging, but it's almost like uh, if anyone's, you see, we see a drag queen dressed up. I mean, this person is almost overdressed to become a, a woman and she's actually a man. And that's almost the case of these period pieces, colonial revivalism in furniture. The craftsmen don't know when to stop. They, 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 they take it to the nth degree and then it sticks out like a sore thumb. So, um, so much for the, uh, the association of the two, but let's, let's finish up. Let's talk about value points and, and how the cost factor and the value factor today are looked at of the smaller sideboard, the larger ones, more cubby holes, galleries, etc. So just general. Again, five points is a 10, as we'd like to term it today. So color and patination on a sideboard with so much wood and so many decorations going around. That adds to the value of the piece. Three value points. When it comes to later, the later sideboards, carved and inlaid decoration, three value points. Figured woods and satin wood. Satin wood was, was the, the decorative ornament, ornament wood of choice in the period. Three value points. So you can judge this when you yourself are trying to assess how high should I go at auction for a piece. So with under four foot, smaller is better in sideboards more proportioned, four to five value points. 
So with five, um, five to six feet, only two value points, not sought after, way too big for today's living. And lastly, um, some of the, where the, the doors are, you would have a tambour shutter for a door um, in certain 18th century types. And that can add up to five value points. So anyway, um, sideboards, a, a very essential piece of 18th century decoration. One that there's a plethora out there for picking right now, and it's been for the last 10 years. So, uh, and, and these guys need help. So, I mean, become a custodian for a sideboard. It has a lot of veneer, um, a lot of, lot of glue failures, adhesive failures, um, Find your, your local conservador or great furniture restorer. Save a piece. Save a piece of furniture for history. Greg Perry, the historic preservationist, signing out. Thanks for listening. Pass it on.